There's something very special to me about studying the writings of Peter. I realize uh, where he started and where he ended, and, and it becomes very special to me to re read what he has written. Peter was called from a very simple life, as opposed to Paul, who was very well educated, very well off, and all of that. Peter was called from fishing nets. He grew up and lived his life on a little lake in the area of Galilee. Called by Jesus to walk with him to become a fisher of men, I see him repeatedly failing on the pages of the Bible and getting back up again. I see Peter, by the free grace of God, a nobody from nowhere, uniquely gifted and privileged to be an eyewitness of Christ's greatest manifestation of glory while he was on this earth, as Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ in a way that only a handful of men did. I see Peter uniquely privileged in being taken with Jesus into the garden as the rest of the disciples were left out by the gate. He took Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, and they were with him in his time of greatest sadness and suffering. That was a unique privilege for Peter. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church and came to indwell Christians, was uniquely moved by God to stand up and preach, and he was blessed with leading thousands to Christ, and then even more as his life went on. Peter was uniquely privileged to write the scripture that we have in front of us, and Peter was also uniquely privileged to die as a martyr, crucified upside down, because he didn't want to be crucified right side up like his Lord. He felt he was unworthy, so they hung him upside down and crucified him, he saw it as an honor to die for his Lord. We're looking at a man in Peter that is everything God wants a man to be and a full example of a real human being, full of failure, common beginnings, and yet a life completely filled with Jesus Christ, filled with God and completely dedicated to God. A man who deeply understood suffering in every sense, but also had discovered the secret of joy in the midst of his suffering. That is why it's so special to me to read his writings. I realize that I, Danny Bond, as a Christian today, I need to listen to this man. I need to listen to this man as God shows me the way through him to have joy in the middle of my sufferings in life. So we have looked at uh, chapter 1 of 1 Peter here in detail. And in verses 6 through 9, we've already looked at five points of contact to enable us to have fullness of joy in the Christian life. We talked about our inheritance, our trials, our honor, our fellowship, our deliverance. And I've had the opportunity to preach those messages in many places other than here since then. I have to tell you, the appreciation I have for the truth that we studied already here together has only deepened as I've studied those messages and preached them again and again. Now we come to verses 10 through 12, and Peter adds one last thought, which would make it six points of contact to experience fullness of salvation joy. And the thought that he adds here is not very clear, I don't think, when you first look at it. But the longer you think about it, and I've been thinking about this for months, is it becomes clearer. And the idea is our unique privileges. Look at verse 10. 
Having discussed all these great things about our salvation, he says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven the things which angels desire to look into. So we have the prophets, we have the apostles, those who have preached the gospel to you, and the angels. And what Peter is saying here is this. You have been uniquely blessed by being born in a time when God has now made available to his people the full revelation of life in Christ, which is the whole Bible. He takes us to the prophets who had an incomplete revelation of God in Christ and long to understand what a full revelation of Christ would be like. So we have the whole scriptures in front of us now. That is a very unique privilege. The other thing is that by bringing up the prophets and how they longed to understand these things and the grace that would come to us, the writer Peter is telling us that the experience that is ours now with the indwelling of the Spirit, the fullness of fellowship with God is unparalleled. It's way beyond what even the prophets experienced with their unique anointing and inspiration to write scripture. It's even beyond that. So that these verses in front of us become a witness to us. Peter effectively lines up this vast group of witnesses, all the prophets, all the apostles, and myriads of angels and they all study salvation in Christ and they all stand before us and beckon us effectively saying please open your eyes and understand that your potential for fellowship with God and Jesus Christ with all the work being done and in place now is far beyond what ours was and we stand together as a holy multitude to challenge you and encourage you on to take advantage of that in the day in which you live. And we effectively beg you not to neglect it, and we are excited to see what could happen when someone is able to have all those resources available and really use them and go on to really know Christ. It's an amazing passage. We are reading with the, the men in our men's fellowship. We began yesterday the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And uh, one of the things we talked about yesterday that really stood out to me in Packer's book is a challenge Packer gives about knowing God and the importance of studying God right up front. He said this. I want to share it with you. He said, Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. As it would be cruel to take an Amazonian tribesman out of the jungle and fly him to London and put him down without explanation in Trafalgar Square and leave him as one who knew nothing of English or England to fend for himself, just as that would be so cruel. He said, so we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. 
The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it is a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God, Packer says, and you sentence yourself to stumble and to blunder through life as though you were blindfolded, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. That is such insight. He's right on the money. And that is what Peter is after here, to motivate us to study God, to make it the great passion of our lives. And so he marshals together all the prophets, all the apostles, and all the angels. And they stand before us as witnesses to encourage us to a life of study that will yield a blessedness, mark it, that in some way surpasses the blessedness they were able to have as devoted and as great as they were. So we talk about our unique privileges. Let's look at the study of the prophets here. Verse 10. It says, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but unto us they were ministering. So, first of all, we see, we see here that they received revelation of our life in Christ. In other words, the Old Testament prophets understood salvation through Christ. That is, in fact, how they were saved. They understood it. It was revealed to them. Lots of details about Christ. And we look at that for weeks in our study of Christ in the Old Testament. But the other thing that you see here is that their understanding of these things, as detailed as many of the prophecies were, their understanding was, was very limited, very incomplete. So that as a result, it says that they inquired and searched carefully, searching water, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating as he testified beforehand, notice of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So all this revelation, but a very limited ability to understand it. For example, let me just show you how complex it would have been for them. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah, to chapter 9. These guys were so blessed by the Spirit of God to receive inspiration, inspired scripture from God. Prophecies of the Messiah, salvation, suffering of Christ, the glories of Christ. So blessed but left with an incomplete understanding of them. Imagine you're Isaiah now, and you're praying one day, and God gives you a prophecy, and you're writing it down. Here it is. It's Isaiah 9.6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So he writes this down as he receives it from the Lord and he sits back and he thinks, this is amazing. The Messiah will be God. Oh, he just savors that and, bl and just blesses the Lord for showing him that. But now imagine time goes by. Turn to Isaiah 53 to verse 7. He knows the Messiah, the Savior, 
to be the mighty God, the everlasting Father. The increase of his government will have no end. He will have a kingdom forever. So here's his perception of the Messiah, of salvation. But now he gets this prophecy from the Lord in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Can you imagine? First of all, he gets this, this revelation, the Messiah will be God, he'll have a kingdom, it'll go on forever. Then he gets more revelation that says, he will be taken as a sheep to the slaughter. We look at this with New Testament eyes. To, the, to us it's basic. To him, it completely confused him. Wait a minute, I thought he was God, how has he led a sheep to the slaughter? Completely righteous. Why does he have a grave with the wicked in his death? And so, as they got these prophecies, they were totally perplexed, wanting to understand, seeing the beauty of it, seeing that he would suffer for our sins, but not knowing, how will this work out? And so they inquired diligently in their incomplete understanding to fully understand salvation in Jesus Christ. They received revelation of life in Christ. They had incomplete understanding of our life in Christ. But here's the amazing thing. They went on to diligently study our life in Christ. See, turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. One thing Peter is saying is, I want you to see how diligently the prophets studied. We sometimes wonder, why God did you give this man such a blessing? He was a diligent student of God, that's why. He says, they inquired and searched carefully. In other words, what happened was, they wrote down the prophecy that came to them and then they studied it. Just as we study our Bibles, they would read over it. Then they would meditate and pray over it. Seeking to get all the understanding of salvation in Christ that they possibly could, they literally, diligently poured over these things after God gave them these revelations. Wanting to understand as much of Christ as they could. But you know what came back from God in response to their studies and their prayers and their meditation? God showed them something. It says here that in verse 12 of 1 Peter, to them it was revealed... Here's the response from God. That not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering. In other words, they're praying and meditating on and studying their own writings. And, and saying, God, I want to understand more of this and I want to know how it will affect my experience with you. And God comes back and he says this to them. This experience, this richness that I'm promising is not for you. It's for them. It's for another time. And so they realized that there was a time coming of intimacy with God where you would have a blessed understanding of the Messiah suffering for you in such a way that you'd be forgiven of your sins, your conscience would be cleansed. I mean, everything revealed in Hebrews effectively. And that that was not for them. So here they are. 
seeking the Lord, diligently studying with all their hearts, and yet the word comes back from God, doesn't matter how diligently you study, you're still never going to have what I will give them. And yet they studied on diligently. You understand why Peter brings them up to us as an example? You see, we're in a very unique position, brethren. Very unique. And you look at the lives... You read the testimonies of how they died. You read Hebrews 11 of how these guys died. You read of how they had joy in the midst of their suffering. And yet you read here that they did not have as much as we have. And the question comes to all of us, then what am I doing with all that's been given to me? And am I experiencing all that God promised He would one day give to His people that these godly, wonderful men could not have no matter how much they sought for it? It becomes a great challenge, a great challenge. And they doubled their efforts and and they went on. You know what they did? They continued to study anyhow to see as much as they, how much can I get? I'm told I can't get what they will have. And yet I want as much as I could get. So they went on and they redoubled their efforts and they continued to study and they continued to pray to get as much as they could even though they knew when we came to study and we came to pray, God was going to give us more. Isn't that something? I'll tell you what it is. It's a dynamic. It's a dynamic that when you begin to taste of the sweetness of the suffering of Christ on your behalf, when you begin to taste of that kind of love, it says they testified of the grace that would come to us, you become so overwhelmed that you want more. And those of you that have tasted of that sweetness from the Word of God want more. And you understand that what it does to you and why the devil attacks you so hard when you apply yourself to it because it makes you a completely different kind of person. And thus you have the tension of the battle and the hunger. The battle and the hunger. The tasting of the sweetness. See, these guys tasted of the sweetness as they're given these prophecies and they couldn't help but continue to study to get more of that sweetness. There's something ravishing about the love of God and Jesus Christ to someone who diligently studies it. Peter is using these men to challenge us on into that kind of study. So the study of the prophets to encourage us. Then he mentions the apostles in a roundabout way here. Look at verse 12. He says, to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things that have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you, that's the apostles, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So what Peter is saying is this. There was a time when men understood salvation in Christ but in only a limited way. There was a time when they understood that there would be a grace coming to the people of God and an intimacy in in a relationship with God that was coming, but they knew that the time was not yet and they couldn't have it. Then the time came of the apostles, and they too studied salvation. You uh, look at Peter on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God falls upon them. He stands up. He begins to preach. And you know what he does? He quotes word for word for word for word from the Old Testament. And immediately we are struck by the fact, here is a diligent student. And all of a sudden you begin to put it all together. Understand why now he was so close to Jesus. It wasn't a random thing. Jesus didn't close his eyes and among the twelve go, All right, Father, who should be the lead apostle here? And he, oh, it's you. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It's you. 
Now, Jesus stayed up all night praying before he chose the twelve. And then, for reasons known to him, Peter was the closest to him and the spokesman for all of the disciples. And one of the critical things I see here is what a student he was of the scriptures. So God took people like Peter and James and John, and Jesus effectively took them and he opened up to them all the mysteries that the prophets have been trying to look into. And by his birth, by his life, by his example, by his works, by his teaching, he began to open their eyes and their ears to this kind of relationship which is now available to you and I, but was not available to Old Testament saints. For example, turn in your Bible to Matthew 13 to verse 16. Matthew 13 to verse 16. And Jesus says here, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. He's saying to them, I hope you're aware that you stand, in a sense, on holy ground, that you are, in a sense, uniquely privileged at this moment, that Daniel and Ezekiel and Moses and David and all of them longed to see and hear what you're seeing and hearing, and they could not. I hope you understand how blessed you are. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and and did not, and hear what you hear and did not. And on he went. So through his birth, his life, his works, his preaching, his death, his resurrection, through all of that, what happened was all the writings of the prophets, one by one, became clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer, so that by the time he was done discipling them, they understood everything the prophets wished they could understand, then they were sent with the mission to spread that around and teach it, and many of them even to write it down. So that you find, um, even after Jesus rose from the dead, they still hadn't gotten everything. So much teaching we are giving, given, you'll notice this in your life, so much of the teaching we're given, we don't get it. We're taught so much, but we learn so little. It's a dynamic of the human condition, I think. And that's why we have such a need for repetition. So here they are. He's teaching and all of this through all the time. Then he, he dies and raises from the dead and he catches up with some of the disciples he had worked with. They're walking down the road on the way to Emmaus. He walks up alongside, starts questioning them. And they said, what are you, the biggest stranger in Jerusalem or what? Don't you understand what's happened here? Our hero, our leader has died. They killed him. We had so much hope. And he's looking at them like, oh. you know, they don't know who he is at the moment. He's looking at them like, these guys, they don't ever get it. So beginning with the prophets and moving through the whole Old Testament, one scripture after the next, he revealed Christ to them in the Old Testament and, and led them up to this, the sufferings and the glory that would follow. And he said, this was what should happen. It has happened. You should rejoice. You shouldn't be bummed out, dragging down this road. And all of a sudden, he manifested to them who he was. And they realized, oh, no, it's him. You know? And, and then he vanished. Just as they got glad, he vanished. And they turned to one another and said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he walked with us on the road, unveiling all that truth of all those scriptures? And they were rejoicing and they ran off and told the other guys, You see, they were so slow to learn, but they did learn. And Jesus unveiled all the mysteries. 
And then God went on by the Holy Spirit to teach them. And the apostles wrote down their epistles. They recorded the gospels, the life of Jesus. And all this revelation, it all became clear. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes on the day of Pentecost after Jesus goes back into heaven. And all of a sudden, there is a relationship possible for a human being to know God and experience His joy and His power that was previously unknown to anybody that had lived before, all the way back to the garden after the fall. So these people were uniquely privileged, these apostles, and they studied so hard. But that isn't the only example that Peter gives us. If you go back to 1 Peter 1, 12, he brings us to be aware of the study of the angels. The study of the angels. He says the angels desire to look into this salvation. Now, I've read over this, as you have, many times. And basically, I thought, well, that's nice. The angels are curious about what I have with Jesus. But studying it, you know what I found out? That this word desire or longing is the Greek word epithumio. It means a strong, unfulfilled desire or an overpowering impulse. In other words, it's a very strong term about an unsatisfied impulse, a holy one, on the part of the angels to understand the details of our salvation. There's something about what God has done for us in Christ as human beings. Something about the way He has brought us into a relationship with Him as Father that even the angels don't have. And so they study us. They study Christ. They study salvation in Christ to learn more of the love of God. So they are diligent students of our salvation. You see, they can't experience it. They study it. They have played a great role in it, announcing the birth of Christ, ministering to Christ in His temptation, and uh, announcing the resurrection. They minister to us as heirs of salvation. They're deeply involved in it, as we saw in one whole message on angels recently. But they can't have it. So there's something we have they don't have. So they're always studying what we have. So what what Peter does is he says, I want you to notice the study of the prophets of your salvation. I want you to notice the study of the apostles. And I want you to notice the study of the angels. And all of that is to open up your mind to this reality. You have a unique privilege. And after teaching you everything I have on suffering, the last thing he's saying I want to give you is this that if you will apply yourself to studying Christ, salvation of Christ, the way the prophets and the apostles and the angels have and do, your study will yield back a richness and an intimacy and a joy that they could never have no matter how hard they studied. And the, the challenge then becomes, go on to do it and let God bless you. You see, it comes down to this. For the study of the Christian today, think about this. We have the completed Bible, the full revelation of God in Christ. So that in the beginning, in in Genesis, God begins to reveal prophecies of Christ. Even in Genesis, there's a slow progressive revelation that occurs throughout the whole Bible, all through the Old Testament. Little by little by little by little, God reveals more of Himself. So depending on where you are in that process... You know more about God while you're living than people previous. Thus, you have a better life with God. But you hit the point in history where Christ dies on the cross. 
He raises from the dead. In doing so, he fulfills all these prophecies. He then preaches throughout his ministry. He disciples his apostles. He enlightens them. They're filled with the Spirit. They get more light. And as a result, the door is swung open with now full revelation as all of that work is chronicled and put together and arranged in a book called the Bible. So that as I hold my Bible in my hands, I have more available to me to teach me about God than the apostles did. You see, they didn't have all of this. They had parts of it. I have more in my hands by far than the prophets did. So that my ability to know God is very unique. And what happens is this. Because we live now way out in time, not only do we have the full scriptures which the early church fathers had and all of that, but we have the unfolding of biblical prophecy that, that even people that lived, say, 1,800 years ago did not have. So we have insights available to us now of the prophecies of Christ in Matthew 24, of the prophecies of Daniel, of, of the revelation of John. We are living in a time where the Bible, talk about Bible times, where the Bible is being unfolded every day that we live. You pick up the newspaper, there's something new about Bible prophecy being fulfilled. All of that is to say that the display of God to us is so magnanimous that we stand in church history as the most blessed, privileged people of all time in a very unique sense. You add to that the reality that, that the angels are helping us every day, which is why we studied one whole study on angels, and the indwelling work of the Spirit... And all of a sudden, you begin to sit back and wake up to what is available to you in Jesus Christ. And why the devil works so hard to keep you from it. And why so much weirdness is going on in the church. And all of a sudden, you want to take advantage of every bit of it. And all of a sudden, you don't want to be a victim anymore. You want to be a victor in Christ. And all of a sudden, you don't want to be robbed of the joyful life you have in Christ by being a moody person all the time. You understand what I mean by that? Some of you really understand. But the moodiest ones of you don't. Because generally, they're the ones that just stay moody all the time. But what happens is this. You begin to realize, okay, here's the, here's the invitation. If I will study diligently, knowing that I will get back more out of it than the prophets, having more available to me than even the apostles, the door will be swung open to me to live a different life. To overcome my moodiness. To have joy, though loved ones die. To have joy though, I'm persecuted. To have joy no matter what. Therefore, I'm ready to put in the effort to pray, to study, to meditate. J.I. Packer has described that kind of meditation in this way. He says, It is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and the ways and the purposes and the promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God, and to let his truth, get this, make its full and proper impact on one's mind and one's heart. It is then a matter, he says, of talking to oneself about God and oneself. 
It is indeed often a matter of arguing with oneself and reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's grace and power, end quote. You understand what he's saying? He's saying we take all these resources now available to us. We study them and then we meditate on them and bring them to God. And those times when we're in one of those moods, those moods that wipe you out and rob you, those moods where you forget there's a devil, those moods where you forget you only had three hours sleep last night, those moods where you don't take into consideration you are in a battle. When you're in those moods and you come and meditate on the truth of God and Jesus Christ that's available to you now, you can reason yourself out of those moods by the truth that makes you free. And all of a sudden you have a different life. I talked to a pastor two days ago on the phone. He called me and I said, how are you doing? He says, fabulous. He said, but let me tell you how I started my day. He said, I woke up this morning totally depressed. I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. Totally discouraged, in a mood, you know? And I said, so what happened? You seem so happy now. He said, I'll tell you. I went to the scriptures and I started to read. And he says, as I was reading and praying and meditating on what was there, all of a sudden, just one verse, one verse, hit me like a thunderbolt. And he said, it hit my mind with a burst of light. It hit my heart with a liberating power. And in a moment of time, I was out of my mood because I was so overwhelmed by the love of God and Christ for me. He said, I could no longer stay in my mood. As I thought through the reality, suddenly I was delivered from my mood. And he says, I am having a great time. I've been singing all day. I've been worshiping. I'm full of joy. Oh, isn't it good to be a Christian? You know, I hung up the phone. I thought, that's it. See, because I was in the middle of studying all this. We are in a unique place. You have a unique privilege. I have a unique privilege. And, brethren, I look at all the time I've wasted. You think, oh, you're a pastor. You're always in the glory. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. And I look at the time I've wasted, and I come to this passage, and now I've been thinking about it for two months before I preached on it. And I realize I have, I have committed some of the greatest tragedy by ignoring my unique place of privilege and I've gone through days in a mood. And I've gone through days with no victory. And I've gone through days, I'm the victim, if they only knew my trouble. You know, and I've gone through life like that. But I realize I've been given all things now in Christ that pertain to life and godliness. It's mine. And if I will study and pray and meditate, I will experience it. And I will know the abundant life and the rivers of living water. So all of a sudden, I'm at a milestone place in my Christian walk after all these years. And I'm so excited about it. So excited. I want to leave you with the words of Charles Spurgeon. These were his opening comments of his sermon, some of them on the morning of January 7th, 1855. He said, It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea. But I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's people is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. 
the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is his name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of a great God whom he calls his Father. He went on to say, He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul, he said, is the science of Christ and him crucified. And then he said this, There is, in contemplating Christ, a balm for every wound. In musing and meditating on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balm for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow, he said? Would you drown your cares? Then go and plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing, he said, which can so comfort the soul, so calm the billowing, swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout time of meditating on the great subject of God. You want comfort? You want peace? Then go and plunge yourself in the Godhead and you will return as one who's rested on your couch, refreshed and ready to deal with life, with the power and the joy of Jesus Christ, that joy of which is your strength. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this time together. We so need these truths. Forgive us, Lord, for living in a time of so much abundance available to us in Christ and so often ignoring the abundance to our own peril. Forgive us, Lord, for being cruel to ourselves by neglecting the study of our great salvation in Christ. Open our eyes, Lord, to the fact that there is a battle to keep us from these things and open our eyes further to show us the richness that is ours as a result of studying you is worth the battle. And Lord, we will be careful to give you all the glory as we experience all of the healing, all of the tenderness and all of the love and all of the peace and joy that you have to give us and thereby experience a different life. We will give you all the glory for that life comes from you. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.